You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We, we started last week by looking at the Holy Spirit coming in the New Testament, coming differently in the New Testament than what was going on in the Old Testament. We said that this occurs at Pentecost. We said Pentecost was a festival that honored and remembered the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. We said that's very significant that we understand spiritual gifts in the context of covenant. So God is instituting covenant in the Old Testament at Sinai, Mosaic covenant, here comes the Old Testament law. They're celebrating it in the New Testament, day of Pentecost. It was a celebration of the Old Testament law. It makes sense that Jesus would choose this day to communicate change in the covenant at a time when they're remembering the Old Covenant. So in the midst of remembering the Old Covenant, God institutes the New Covenant realities of the Holy Spirit. We said that it was also a perfect opportunity for the gospel to advance when the Holy Spirit came upon these disciples. There were people from out of town, out of town guests, that would uh, understand the Jewish customs because they were Jewish in origin, but they had never come back to the Holy Land after they were dispersed with the Babylonian captivity. They had opted to raise their kids and live in a foreign country, but they still maintained an element of worshiping Yahweh, and they would travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. So they come into town 50 days after the Passover, and again, it's not coincidence that Jesus is sacrificed on the cross at the time when everybody was thinking about the need for a perfect lamb to be sacrificed at that time of Passover. Fifty days later, they're celebrating the law. The law was given at Sinai 50 days after Passover. In the midst of that celebration, the Holy Spirit comes upon these New Testament believers. God's presence was experienced. God's commands are then obeyed. We said the Great Commission was given to make disciples, to preach the gospel. Peter and the others begin to preach the gospel And God's purposes are fulfilled. 3,000 individuals get saved that day. So this is a significant number because 3,000 individuals died at Mount Sinai when the Old Testament law was given. So we see God's justice and his grace taking place. We saw the church beginning to, uh, to, to thrive. They're adding to themselves daily those that were being saved. We looked at the purposes of the spiritual gifts last week. Not just these miraculous gifts, but all the gifts that are talked about in the New Testament. We said ultimately the purpose of them is to advance the gospel, to build up the church. They were to substantiate the claims of Jesus and his disciples. There was an element where they were to prove the validity of what these apostles were saying and doing. It gave them credibility to this message that they were sharing with people who who were following Yahweh and how he revealed himself in the Old Testament, but had not yet accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So these apostles need validity, credibility to what they're doing and saying, this message, this gospel that they're teaching. These miracles and signs and, and tongues were used to provide credibility to them. The Bible says that they were, it was also used to mutually upbuild and edify individuals in the church. It's to disperse responsibility from leaders to members of the church. We talked about this last week, that Sovereign Hope cannot be a place where a few elders do all the work of the ministry. That instead, Scripture is very clear, we have the responsibility to equip church members to do the work of the ministry. And you can be equipped because you're gifted by the Holy Spirit. We're to serve others with the gifts that we have been given. To advance the gospel until Jesus returns. To glorify Christ. It's to be exercised under leadership. 
in the local church using biblical principles, and we're going to see some of those today. They're not meant to serve as a sign of spiritual maturity or holiness. They're not meant to be a a spiritual earmark for whether or not you're a good Christian or not based on what gifts you possess. We said the major thing that happens at Pentecost is not that people begin to speak in tongues or that miracles are are, are performed. The major thing that happens is the proclamation of the gospel. That is the focal point of what takes place there. The people were not amazed in a life-changing way over the tongues or the miracles. It was the message of the gospel. Now, those things provided credibility. It, It caught their attention. It got them listening. It drew them to the apostles. But it was the proclamation of the gospel that was adding people to the church daily. That's the major change that we see in the book of Acts is that people became bold in their proclamation of the gospel. And so my challenge to you last week was, are we living like Old Testament Christians or New Testament Christians? Not meaning, are we tongue speakers, are we miracle workers, but are we bold proclaimers of the gospel? Because that's the big difference about a New Testament Christian. Old Testament believers, we said they were much more inward focused. It was all about Israel. They weren't being the light to other nations like they were supposed to be. Even in the life of the disciples, Peter, James, and John and these guys, they, were, uh, they weren't bold in their witness. Peter's denying Jesus, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, is afraid that if he's associated with Jesus, he'll be killed. And then almost instantaneously, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's out preaching the gospel in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified 50 days prior to that. I mean, he, he has to know that he's putting himself on the chopping block. I mean, I'm in the worst possible setting to be talking about what I'm talking about. And I denied even wanting to be associated with this man just 50 days ago. It's a big change that happens. Yes, there was tongue speaking. Yes, there was miracles being worked. But the major change, the major difference is the bold proclamation of the gospel, which is important for us to understand that we're not looking to conjure up some type of weird environment here where all of a sudden spiritual gifts start being used that maybe weren't used in the past. What we want to be about is a church that is is boldly proclaiming the gospel, that is equipping individuals in our church to boldly proclaim the gospel, to break out of this mindset that I go to work all week and then I come to church on Sunday and then I go back and do the whole thing again, that we become otherworldly-minded, that we're focused on the world that's coming and not just the things of this world for here and now. We said last week that the gifts are distributed by the Spirit's will to all believers. So everybody that's, that's, that's here that's a believer is gifted. Believers may have multiple gifts. All the gifts are important, which means that nobody can sit here and say, ah, this church doesn't need me. They've got everything taken care of. I'm not, uh, I, I don't have anything to offer this church. New Testament says otherwise. Paul says otherwise. He says the body of Christ needs you. He says, don't be discouraged because you're not an eye if you're an ear. But then he also says, don't be an ear and say, we don't need, we don't need the eye. He's very clear that we need to have this perspective of, hey, everything is important for the body. Every aspect of the body is important. We need individuals to, to serve in the church, to do their job, to do their part, so that the church can thrive and so the gospel can advance. Everybody's important. A believer is important. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He has gifted you. You are needed either in this local church or another local church. You have something to offer. 
We also said that there's not one single gift that's possessed by everyone. There's diversity in the church. Diversity that every single individual comes and offers to that local body. We said that because everyone's gifted for service, it's not a question of can you serve. Instead, it's a declaration that you must serve. You must serve. All right, in your notes, views on miracle, miraculous gifts. We're going to spend this week talking about um, some of the difficult gifts that we have trouble understanding. We may, we'll definitely have to look at this more next week. The goal getting to some of the practical aspect of how does this look in our local church. Okay, so we're going to talk more in introductory broad terms today about these gifts, working towards more of a specific application for our church here at Sovereign Hope. All right, uh, so view on miraculous gifts, tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings, and demon casting. I think it's important to note first that they are not meant to provide an amazing personal experience. Okay? These gifts are not meant for you to have some type of crazy personal experience. Okay? Look at with me in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be in several passages today. Um, eventually we're going to hopefully end up Lord willing with our time in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These gifts are not given for you to enjoy, but for others to enjoy. It's for the common good. 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 12. And if you want to just jot these down so you can look them up later, then... And feel free to do that. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is not about you having a personal experience today, and it wasn't about them having a personal experience back then. It was about the upbuilding of the church, the edifying of individual members of the church. Uh, a quote that I found from um, a leading charismatic leader, many of our errors where spiritual gifts are concerned arise when we want the extraordinary and exceptional to be made the frequent and habitual. That's, that's a good um, truth for us to remember in talking about these. We, we get into error when we start wanting the extraordinary and the exceptional to become the frequent and habitual. We need to be cautious about the extraordinary becoming the norm in a local church. He says we start to get into error when that becomes our expectation. All right, there's three, um, three major views about the continuation of these gifts or the lack of continuation of these gifts. The first one is continuationism. Continuationism. They believe that they continue. Um, and there's some subdivisions in, in this uh, this grouping. The first one is Pentecostal. The Pentecostal movement falls under the continuationism group. These aren't in your notes. All right, so underneath this we've got the Pentecostals. The Pentecostals are, are saying that the charismatic gifts are viewed as normal activity within the church. 
The gifts are normal activity in the church. And they are, they are accompanied by baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where I would say that there's severe doctrinal error. These are uh, people who would teach that we get saved, we get baptized by water, but there's a, a extra event that's supposed to take place where we are baptized by the Spirit after our salvation, not simultaneously with our salvation, and then these gifts spring up from that baptism. We looked last week how I strongly believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit is is simultaneous with salvation. That What was going on in Acts was extraordinary in that the Holy Spirit had not come in this way yet, but what we see thereafter, after that initial kind of Pentecost day, what begins to become the norm is that when people get saved, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You don't see Paul writing letters to these churches saying, some of you still need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. He talks about him being saved. He talks about him having the Holy Spirit. There's not this subgroup that's saved without the Holy Spirit. And I would say that this is, this is a, a straying of clear scripture when, when the belief is, is that there's an extra event that's supposed to happen. I think you'd have a really hard time making a case from that outside of what was happening in that covenant transition. Now, obviously, there's some, there's some, some stuff that's not the norm there when we're going from Old Covenant to New Covenant. When we get into the norm in the New Testament, though, we see people saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The third wave movement which sounds kind of bad, cultic um, they're actually the more conservative uh, of these two. They would say charismatic gifts are part of the normal activity within the church but are not accompanied by a baptism of the Spirit. Okay, so maybe not as normal. Um, they're part of normal activity. And by no baptism of the Holy Spirit, we mean it's not viewed as a separate event. Okay, so these people would not be known for being charismatic. Okay, so, so they would say that, hey, these gifts continue, and, and they are present in our church, but it's not what they are necessarily known for. Whereas, even, even if we were to talk about an, a, a Pentecostal church, most of, would say, most of us would say, oh, they speak in tongues. Like that would be the first thing that came to our mind. Oh, they, they speak in tongues. That's probably not the first thing that would come to mind in, in, in a lot of these third-wave churches, to my, to my understanding at this point. Now, I haven't been exposed to a lot of these churches, um, and so I'm still reading and studying. But from what I can gather, this is not with their, their, their big crescendo. This is what we are, uh, would be. Um, the continuation movement says that the miraculous gifts are not just for the apostles. In Acts chapter 6, and we're going to see that those that believe these have stopped, they would say that these gifts were only for the apostles. Uh, no, I think the church is known for that. Yeah. 
I think it happens every week kind of thing. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here's, a, here's one example of a man who's not specifically labeled as an apostle in the New Testament that was doing great wonders and signs among the people, Acts 6, 8. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, not labeled an apostle of Jesus, but he's doing signs here. So this this group of people would say, um, of course they continue. They wouldn't have ended with the apostles because they were being done by people who weren't apostles. This group would also say that unless Scripture states otherwise, we should desire all the gifts and assume they're still available. So their, their big argument is, if Scripture doesn't tell us that these things have stopped, we should assume that they continue. If Scripture doesn't tell us specifically that they have stopped, then we should expect that they will continue. 1 Corinthians 1, seven. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. They would say, Paul tells us we're not lacking in gifts, that none of the gifts have been taken away. Until Jesus comes back, we have full access to all of the gifts that are talked about. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. These are passages that these people would say in this group that, hey, of course they continue. We're told to desire them. We're told that we're not lacking in them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13 real quick. This is an important passage in this debate because this is, to my knowledge, the only passage that talks about the the passing away or the, the ending of certain gifts. First Corinthians 13, verse 8. This is right after the, the section on the importance of love. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So there's this implication here that prophecies aren't perfect, that tongues aren't perfect, but that when the perfect comes, they'll be done away with. Now, how you interpret what the perfect is typically shapes your understanding of do these gifts continue or not. This group would say that this is talking about the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, that when Jesus comes, these gifts go away. Love doesn't go away, but these gifts go away because we're now with the perfect. We're with Jesus. We don't need pro- prophetic revelation. We have Jesus who talked to us. So they would say that, yes, these things pass away. Yes, there'll be a time when tongues are done, but that's when Jesus comes back. Okay. Um, this group would also say, for the most part, or they at least should say this, that the gifts of speaking, prophecy, and tongues, they're not authoritative in the same way as Scripture, and they must be tested. So the conservative churches that speak in tongues would say, this is not authoritative like Scripture. Okay, So if Thomas were to stand up and start speaking in tongues in our church, 
if we were if we were a Pentecostal church, uh, and then we had somebody interpret it. The implication is is that whatever he has to say is not nearly as important or as authoritative as what the Bible says. We have to test what he says to see if there's any good there to hang on to. So he's not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit where he's just spouting truth guaranteed. Okay? They're not authoritative like Scripture. All right, so the second group of people are the cessationists. Cessationism. These obviously are people that believe that these gifts have ceased. They believe that the miraculous gifts ceased after the time of the apostles. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So here Paul's attesting to the fact that the apostles came with signs, wonders, and mighty works. This group would say that those were relegated specifically to the apostles. Hebrews 2. Two through four. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. They would say that these gifts specifically were distributed to those who heard Jesus, apostles, and they were able to work signs and wonders and miracles, but that it ceased when the apostles were no longer here. They would say that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, 8 through 10, about passing away when the perfect comes. This group would say, for the most part, not everybody in this camp, but a lot of people in this camp would say that the perfect refers to the canon of Scripture. So they would say the perfect is the, the authoritative word of God specifically the New Testament. So when the New Testament was written and put together and we had our 27 books, that the need for prophecy and tongues was no longer there because now we can just read the Bible. We can just read the New Testament. We can read about the New Covenant. We don't need extra biblical sources telling me what's going on. I can read it in Scripture now. So they would say the perfect has come in the sense of the canon is here. This group would also say that tongues and prophecy undermine the authority of Scripture. That to have somebody speaking something that's less authoritative than Scripture, why are you taking up our time? You know, it's kind of, if, if what he's got to say is less valuable than this, why would we stop talking about this to hear this guy out? They say it undermines the authority of Scripture. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with some of that reasoning. Um, I just have a hard time finding support for it. So it's easier to be a cessationist. It's easier to say, well, the reason we don't prophesy and speak in tongues and see miracles and, and, and cast out demons at Sovereign Hope is because we're not supposed to. It stopped. That's the easy thing to say. The only problem is that I can't take you to a scripture confidently and say, here's where we're told that it stopped. And then we're just going to move on to something else. Um, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13.
1 Corinthians 13:10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think you really have to force that to mean the canon of Scripture. Like, I I don't see that i don't see paul referencing hey when the whole new testament's written then we won't need these things i think the implication there is that when jesus comes back we won't need these things that we'll we'll see him face to face i've never talked about the scripture as seeing face to face that that doesn't seem to be the hope that when the new testament comes we'll see jesus face to face it's the return of jesus i think that's what that passage has to mean even good solid guys that are a little uh, about the miraculous gifts, we'll tell you we can't use this passage to back up anything, really. This is saying that when Jesus comes back, these things go away. So, because of that, we've got a third group. These guys that just don't know what's going on. Open but cautious. The open but cautious group. This group disagrees with saying that these gifts were confined to the time of the apostles. Okay, So this group would say, I'm not comfortable saying that this was just for the time of the apostles. This group would also disagree with saying that these gifts should always be manifested in the church. So this group would also say, this should not be happening all the time. This should not be the norm for the New Testament church. So... This group says, I can't, I can't tell you for sure that these are supposed to be done with because I don't have scripture to say that. But they would also say, I'm not comfortable with what I see going on in most charismatic churches. It seems off. It doesn't seem like what the New Testament's talking about. So some of you have expressed some of that. Hey, I, I've been around this. I see it talked about in scripture, but it doesn't seem to be what I'm seeing in these churches where I experienced it at. Um, when, when we used to go on vacation, um, my dad would take us to weird churches, random churches for some reason. Um, instead of finding a solid local body of believers to join with on our vacations, we seemed to try to find the oddest churches in that area. And we were down in Panama City one year, and we went to uh, the church with the roar. That's what it was called, the church with the roar. I mean, that should have been a sign that maybe we shouldn't come. Uh, there was a big lion out front. And uh, that's where we went on our vacation Sunday. And um, there was a lot of tongue speaking that took place there. No interpretation, though. Um, It was a very intimidating setting, not a setting that made you feel like, ah, the Holy Spirit's here. It was more like, when can we get out of here? Uh, And when the invitation time came, it, it was awkward. It was long. Nobody was coming down. I happened to look up and look over at this other kid who looked up at the same time, but he looked forward. I followed his eyes, and the man was, like, motioning him to come down. The kid left his seat, came down. They had a conversation, and then the pastor, like, made a declaration that this guy had made a decision today. It was extremely awkward, extremely forced, um, and, I, and I, I never wanted to ever be in that setting again. I think the next year we went to a similar type church that was 
probably more conservative, but again, that same type of setting where people were standing up, speaking in tongues, and nobody was interpreting, nobody was cluing in anybody what was going on. And like Paul says, you potentially have people that come in and think you're crazy, that think you're mad because there seems to be no clarification about what's happening. That's been my experience. Um, so I, I'm open to it because I can't find scripture that says that I should be closed to it. But I'm very cautious about it because I've yet to be in an environment where I say, oh, this is what I'm reading in the New Testament. So I'm open but very cautious about it. Um, I'm most open to these type of things happening in places where the gospel has not reached previously. So as Denise mentioned earlier, I'm very open to stories that I hear on the mission field where potentially people are speaking in foreign languages that they did not know pre- prior to that, and people are hearing the gospel. I'm very open to the possibility of demons being cast out and miracles being worked. When an individual, when, when, a, when a white man is coming into an area where they've never seen a white man before, and they are communicating truth that they've never heard before, I think we can, we can, I can be very comfortable with, in the same way the apostles needed credibility to their message, that God grants credibility to these missionaries that bring this message. I don't have a problem with hearing stories on the mission field. It's stories that I hear in America that make me, eh, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I don't see the need for credibility like we see in the New Testament. I think when, we, when you've got the Bible, all 66 books in your language, um, when... when our, our nation, however you want to see it, there, there was biblical foundation there to some degree. There, there was a communication of spiritual things when our nation was founded. Um, we, we, for the most part, especially in our area, are, are around people who have heard of Jesus, who have heard of the gospel, uh, that don't seem to have a need for some of these things from a credibility standpoint. Now, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't happen in this area. I don't see them happening in this area for a credibility reason in the same way that I could see it happening on the mission field. So I'm most open to this stuff continuing in areas where the gospel hasn't gone before. Um, I personally want to be open regarding the Spirit of God, yet discerning according to the Word of God. 1 John 4 1 tells us to be cautious in this area. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We should expect to see uh, counterfeit miracles, counterfeit prophecies, counterfeit tongues. We should expect to see those generated by false prophets. And we're to test everything by the word of God. So I want to be open to the spirit and what the spirit wants to do. But I also want to make sure that I'm discerning about what the Spirit's doing according to the Word of God, because the Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. He'll never contradict Scripture. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we should always be open in mind and in heart to anything that the Spirit of God may choose to do in His sovereignty. We should always be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do according to God's sovereignty. And if, and if the Holy Spirit wanted to start speaking in tongues here at Sovereign Hope, then I've got to at least be open to it very cautious to it, and it better line up with the Word of God, or we're going to have a problem. Open but cautious. More cautious than open. Uh, so points of agreement between these three groups. 
Um, everything must be tested by Scripture. Nothing can be added to Scripture. Um, it's unwise to claim words are from the Lord for someone else. Um, it's unwise to say, God told me to tell you this. Doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Doesn't mean that it shouldn't happen at times. Uh, and we'll talk more about maybe how to communicate something like that appropriately. Uh, and then number four, be open to the Spirit's working. So all these groups would say, you got to test it by Scripture. You can't add to Scripture. It's unwise to impose some things on people that you feel like you got from God and that you should be open to the Spirit's working. Now, John MacArthur, who's a cessationist, would say, I'm open to the Spirit's working. I just know how he's going to work. He's not going to do this. I mean, that, that would be kind of the cessationist view. Yes, I'm open to it, but it's not going to happen. So um, I'm, not, I'm not there. That's where I would be most comfortable being, and, and that's where I was raised to really be. But in looking at Scripture, I can't find the support to, to confidently say these things have stopped. All right, we're going to look real quick um, at prophecy, miracles, healing, demon casting, and tongues and interpretations. And, and then we're going to look more in depth at it next week. Um, I want to basically give you a quick overview of what these things are and the questions that I'm still asking myself about how this fits in with New Testament church life. All right, prophecy. Number one, prophecy. Uh, if you want to jot these passages down, Romans 12, 6. 1 Corinthians 12.10. Romans 12.6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. That's Romans 12.6. 1 Corinthians 12.10. Just showing you that these that this gift is mentioned in the New Testament as a valid gift. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And then Ephesians 4.11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. All right, it's important for us to understand how prophecy and prophet is used in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it's thus says the Lord. When we've got prophets and prophecy, it's thus says the Lord, which means it doesn't need to be tested. God was giving words to his prophets. They were his spokesmen. Now, if what they said didn't come true, they were to be killed. So there, in a sense, there was a testing to it. But, but a man of God who was set up as a prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, these guys, that they, they weren't supposed to have stuff tested. They were prophets of God, spokesmen of God. Thus says the Lord. They wrote it down. Um, they were prophets in a divine-inspired sense. In the New Covenant, though, it doesn't have the same scriptural quality. It's not inerrant. When we talk about prophecy in the New Testament, it's not inerrant. It's supposed to be exposed to testing. So we're to test prophecy. That's a difference in the New Covenant with the way the word is being used. It's not that, um, it's not that we have New Testament prophets like Old Testament prophets, but they're just not getting the clear word from God anymore. It's that the word is being used differently. What's happening is different than in the Old Covenant. Same word, it's just a different type of function. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. 
The implication is that there may be some stuff that's bad or just not helpful in there that's mixed in with that prophecy. All right, so there's three categories of prophecy. Number one, false prophecy. Three categories of prophecy. Number one is false prophecy. False prophecy involves dishonest lies, deceptive speech that's based on no revelation, and it ignores divine scripture. Dishonest lies, deceptive speech based on no revelation, ignores divine scripture. Deuteronomy 18.20 says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. False prophecy, dishonest lies, deceptive speech based on no revelation. It ignores divine scripture. Number two is true prophecy. True prophecy. It's inspired truth. It's direct speech based on new revelation. Inspired truth, direct speech based on new revelation, it results in divine scripture. Jeremiah 1 9, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. True prophecy is inspired truth, it's direct speech based on new revelation, it results in divine scripture. Then we have the third category, the one we're dealing with, the gift of prophecy. False prophecy, true prophecy, gift of prophecy. It's spirit-prompted talk. The spirit prompts it. It's spontaneously spoken. It's indirect speech, meaning it's not stuff that God directly gives us. It's not God's words. It's indirect speech that's based on established revelation. Okay, so it's spirit-prompted talk. It's spontaneous. It's indirect speech that comes from God. It's based on established revelation. It's based on the, the canon of Scripture. And it's tested by divine Scripture. It doesn't become divine Scripture. It's tested by divine Scripture. Now, we're going to see that prophecy is different than the gift of teaching, but I think we can understand the results as being very similar. Okay, so we're going to talk about prophecy in a minute and what prophecy is. I think it's, it's similar in its quality to teaching, but I don't think it's necessarily the same as teaching. Now, prophecy can happen in the midst of teaching, but we don't have... Um, Elders receiving double honor, especially those who prophesy. It's, it's those who teach. So there's a distinction given in the, in the functionality of prophesying and teaching. There's some similarities, but there's enough distinction where it remains separate and different, meaning you can have people who aren't teachers who potentially prophesy in a church. Okay? But the results are very similar, meaning when I stand up here and, and preach the word of God, it's based on divine already hear revelation it's established revelation that i teach from but everything that i say doesn't necessarily come directly from god like like i believe i'm i'm being spirit prompted when i teach i believe that i'm submitted to the holy spirit i believe the spirit taught me created scripture to me and then i present that to you but it's not inerrant i can make mistakes i can make errors i can misinterpret passages even though I'm trying to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, I'm not 
perfect in my teaching. And you need to always understand that. You need to test everything that you hear from me. I think it's important that there's credibility that I'm not some goof off the street that has no training, that has no background in Scripture, that just walks in here on Sundays and never looks at his Bible and just starts teaching. And then you're supposed to test that. There's credibility that gives you belief that what you're hearing is true and maybe the the extensiveness and the need of testing is decreased as opposed to if somebody just randomly came off the street and started talking but what i teach needs to be tested every week i'm not the spokesperson from god in the sense that he doesn't give me direct words to say to you every week spirit prompted it's spirit led but there's room for error there's room for mistake that would be the same for prophecy Somebody who's prophesying, who's, who's declaring things from God, it has to be tested because there may be error there. It can be profitable in the same way that teaching can be profitable. We don't just get up here and read divine revelation every week. There's, there's discussion and expansion upon that. So it's profitable, but it needs to be tested. Same for prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? I've had some bad experience with prophecy. Um, Lauren and I, when we were, were we still dating? We weren't married yet. I think we were dating when we were in downtown. And that random guy came up to us and started prophesying to us. Yeah. Yeah, this random guy in Atlanta came up to us and wanted to speak to us over our life and give us some inclinations about, yeah, first he wanted money, um, and then he wanted to give us insight into our future, that, that the first kids that we had would be twins, um, and just started talking about our life together, and um, that, was a, that was a bad sense of, of prophecy and that term being used. It was uh, completely out of context of what we want to talk about in the, in the context of the local church, okay? But there is some element of predictive future, I think, that falls into prophecy, now, I'm going to give you a just kind of a, a quick list of, of people that I respect and how they define prophecy in the New Testament. I don't think there's really a clear definition of what's going on in the New Testament, and that's what also makes it difficult. But here's some understandings that I've gleaned from people that I respect as to what this prophecy is. Uh, it's stuff that the Spirit brings to mind that otherwise you wouldn't have thought of. It's unplanned. It's thoughts, ideas, truth that the Spirit brings to somebody's mind that otherwise they wouldn't have thought of or wouldn't have known about. It's unplanned, so it's not something that I prepare for like I prepare for teaching. It's something that's completely Spirit-prompted. But its purpose is for upbuilding encouragement and consolation. In 1 Corinthians four uh, 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So when it happens, it's meant for other people. It's meant to encourage, upbuild, console other people. It's the ability to... To know things about people without a reason for knowing them. The ability to know things about people without a reason for knowing them. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, or 1 Corinthians 24. But if all prophesy 
and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It's, it's potentially when someone who has this gift, or maybe the pastor, begins to speak directly to somebody and has no prior knowledge as to the need to speak to somebody about this. John Piper shared an illustration about this. He said that he was, he was teaching a sermon. He ended up giving an illustration that he had not planned to give. Just to, and that happens to me all the time. I'm up here teaching, and then the Spirit brings to mind things that I hadn't intended to include. He, he gave an illustration about, um, I think it was just in the area of service and gospel proclamation. He said, maybe there's somebody here who works on the 34th floor of X building in Minneapolis, and, and that person, maybe they just need to start a Bible study for their coworkers. After the sermon, lady comes up and says, why did you say that? He says, you know, I don't know, like I was just you know, teaching, spirit seemed to be prompting that. And she said, I work on the 34th floor of that building in Minneapolis, and I've been praying and asking the spirit for guidance about starting a Bible study with my coworkers. I'm going to be honest with you. If John Piper, who I respect greatly, says that that happened, I trust that that happened. And it's a weird coincidence. Right. In about, hey, there's an example when that can happen. Move her in the direction. She gets further confirmation. I went and started her Bible study with her coworkers. That's an example of prophecy. No. Shouldn't know and speaking to it potentially, uh, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Uh, in the New Testament, we do see some predictive future in Acts chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I mean, this isn't false prophecy here. Right? This guy stands up and says, there's a famine coming. And, and Paul, who's, who's, who, with Barnabas here, like they take care of this. They take relief to people in anticipation of this famine. So it's not just speaking truth. There is, at times in the New Testament, a predictive future to it. Um, in Acts 21, verse 10 and 11, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He begins to prophesy about the future of Paul. Now, read, you realize, a lot of what he says comes true. The details are a little sketchy. They don't, they don't happen exactly how he says it's going to happen. But ultimately, Paul is bound and he's persecuted for what he does there. So predictive future that really did come true. And this is stuff going on in the New Testament in the context of the local church. Word for the one. And again, examples of how this gift may come out in a local church. Now, we're in Antioch, 
and teachers, brothers, Simeon, who was called Tetrarch and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.